calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. I am off to a friend's wedding this week, so I am recording this episode and the next episode early. This is only my second bit of travel since the lockdowns and my first flight since December of 2019. What even is plane travel? We are nowhere back to normal as a society, of course, but I'm vaccinated. A real girl is vaccinated. We're giving it a whirl. Hopefully, we won't have an attention whore anti-masker on the flight, but you never know. There's always that promise of fun waiting in the wings. Yeah, I took a break from packing just to do this episode, so I got to get back to it. Let me get you caught up on the story, and then we're going to go kick the seat of the person in front of us. Previously on The Stone Wolves, Killian sat down with his old friend, Fanaka, a.k.a. the bitch who knows everything. Killian thought he had pushed his past down, hidden it away, but Fanaka won't let him ignore his failures or his cowardly betrayal of a solemn oath. Chapter 4. Ghosts of the Past Forty-four years ago, the five of them had made a pact. It happened after the guild op in the quiescence, the communications dead zone within Kretorakian space. Quite possibly the most dangerous place in the galaxy outside of the Portaf cloud. Fanaka's ability to see five and six moves ahead, to make connections where others would not, led her to initiate an audacious strike against the Empire. A direct attack against the Kretorakian shipyard near Emperor Three. Such a move was thought to be folly, thanks to the twenty warships protecting the place. But Fanaka, Killian, and the others didn't attack directly. They turned some of that naval might against itself. The bats coveted Hurrah fighter craft tech. As the only flying sentient species other than the Hurrah, the Kratorakians continuously worked toward emulating or outright copying the Hurrah's free-floating spherical cockpit in which a pilot would physically fly into jets of compressed air, while a VR field accurately emulated everything outside the fighter craft. Sphere computers read the hurrah pilot's every move, translated those movements into directional thrust. 
The end result? A fighter craft that moves like a living thing, reacts like a hurrah warrior trained since birth in airborne close quarters combat. Kretorakians do have wings and can fly, yes, but comparing their flight to a hurrah's is like comparing a stumbling pup to a stalking wolf. The innate gift of wings, however, means that bats are the only other species that can operate hurrah fighter craft as they are intended to be used by an airborne pilot flying inside the enclosed sphere. Modifications to the fighter craft AI turns the bat's relatively awkward flapping into real-time combat reaction. Using that AI tech against itself, Fanaka, Killian, Redwire, Lulls, and Recoil pulled off the greatest strike in Guild history. Both Kretorakian and Hurrah Sphere fighter craft had an AI evasive maneuver in common, the automated tactic of recognizing when a pilot was dead or unconscious, then accelerating the fighter craft at full burn away from a combat zone. The Hurrah utilized that feature to try and save the life of the pilot. The Kretorakians couldn't have cared less about an individual pilot's life, but ships were expensive, and the bats wanted to preserve them whenever possible. Lulz figured out a way to make a simple modification to that maneuver. Instead of flying at top speed away from a combat zone, she created a hack that made the fighter craft fly at top speed toward something big. The shipyard itself. Just one catch. Lulz had to get within 50 kilometers of the base in order to run the complex series of nested commands. Otherwise, the effort would fail due to transmission lag time. Just getting inside that range was damn near impossible. Getting out? That proved to be even harder. When the Krizatu launched the attack, there were 42 fighter craft on patrol or involved in training maneuvers. In that same instant, all of their flight AI shut off pilot controls and streaked toward the shipyard. Maybe half the fighters were destroyed before they could impact. Half were not. The fighter craft became flying bombs, smashing into the shipyard, creating so much damage that the yard's massive reactors went nova. Killian and his team had executed a successful strike deep inside Kretorakian territory completely destroying the facility. But the victory came at a cost, both physical and mental. After the attack, Killian and the others had fled. Kretorakian destroyers gave chase. Fanaka's carefully pre-planned escape route paid off, but the Krizatu didn't get away unscathed. Despite Redwire's deft piloting, bat destroyers managed to land three salvos on the Krizatu ship. In one of those exchanges, Recoil lost her right arms. In another, Lulz suffered a punctured air bladder. The hurrah nearly died. The Krizatu ship took even more damage as they reached their final goal, Shimanan, a moon of the gas giant Mathara in the hurrah tribal accord. Red wire crashed the ship in the Drenuk mountain range. The crew barely survived. It was the perfect place to hide. While the Hurrah Tribal Accord had been conquered by the bats, there were many areas within Accord space that were, quote, less than cooperative, end quote, with the Kretorakian overlords. Case in point, the mountains of Drenuk. 
There, the death rate for Kretorakians venturing outside of their armored garrisons approached 70%. The accord had been defeated, but it seemed the warrior spirit of the Shimanan Hara would never die. Fanaka, Killian, Redwire, Lulls, and Recoil had lain low for months, hiding in the forested foothills to avoid Kretorakian forces, which included Hara loyal to the Empire that hunted them. Those forces endured constant guerrilla attacks from the Hara that lived in sprawling tunnel complexes drilled into the countless mountain caves. The bats controlled the orbital space around Shimanon, but surviving in the atmosphere and on the ground, beset by savage hurrah warriors that didn't mind dying, that was another thing altogether. Fanaka, Killian, Redwire, Lulls, and Recoil had stayed quiet and hidden. They'd licked their wounds. They'd recovered. Killian remembered it as a happy time. After all, had they not completed an impossible mission? Had they not dealt a crippling blow to the oppressors? So what that thousands of non-Kretorakians working at the shipyard had died, right? So what that thousands more hurrah perished attacking the Kretorakian search forces on Shimanon, right? That was the price of war. So what? Hiding together, surviving on military rations heated only by the rare times it was safe to make a fire, the five celebrated their accomplishment. They had achieved the guild's greatest victory yet. Just the five of them. The Krizatu, a human approximation of the Kretorakian word for a predator native to the desolate wasteland known as the Reef. A word that translated to slate wolves or stone wolves. It was the latter interpretation that stuck. The Stone Wolves, the heroes of the age. It was on Shimanon that they made their pact. The pact. No matter where they were, no matter when they were, no matter what the cause, no matter what the stakes or the danger, they would come to one another's aid whenever asked. It was a sacred promise made among soldiers those who had shared a bond forged in combat, a connection that transcended friendship or family. It was a contract made among murderer saviors, Fanaka, a human female, Killian and Redwire, human males, Recoil, a Watokian female, Lulz, a hurrah female. They had promised. Killian had promised. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Ah, he remembers, Fanaka said. Her silver eye glittered. Yes, Killian said. You saved me, for which I am eternally grateful, but what about when Recoil called for you? Killian flinched. So Fanaka did know. Of course she did. She seemed to know everything. About a decade back, Fintergax, also known as Recoil, had left Killian a comms message. The Watokian, 
had been in trouble, but she couldn't share more over the line. She'd asked Killian to rendezvous at an old guild safe house on Capizzi 7. She needed protection. Killian hadn't known how Finter had tracked him down. It had spooked him. He hadn't gone to help her. Instead, he deleted the message, forced himself to forget about it. How did Fanaka know? Killian thought about lying, thought of saying he never got the message, but Fanaka wasn't the type to play a card unless she knew both her hand and yours. That was different, Killian heard himself saying, hating himself for saying it. I'd been out of the guild for 27 years by then, a quarter of a damn century. You liar! Her blue eye blazing, her voice acidic. Our pact wasn't about the guild, it was about us, she said. The five of us. It was about finding people who mean more to you than even your family. It was about finding people who know you, the real you, the monster you, and not being afraid of it, not running from it. That's what we all were. That's why we made the vow. You ignored recoil because you were out? How dare you? Killian stared into the campfire. He tried to convince himself his tears were from the smoke. Did Vinter reach out to you? Of course she did, Fanaka said. Me and Lulz went to help her. A blast of shame. Killian had hidden away from a comrade in need while Hopscotch and Lulz stepped up. What about Redwire? Fanaka shook her head. He couldn't get away to help us. We could have used his younger-than-he-should-be ass. Killian huffed out a laugh. On the second-to-last mission Killian had run with the Kurzatu, Redwire had been poisoned with Tintrasecodine. There had been no cure at the time. Desperate, Killian, Fanaka, and the others had used an experimental process to freeze the man solid before the poison could cascade through his system. Redwire spent decades in cold sleep. By the time Akira was found, Killian had long since been out of the guild. I know you saw Redwire, Fanaka said, back in 76. Yes, Killian had seen the man once since leaving the guild. And, of course, Fanaka somehow knew about that. He looked good, Killian said. Not a day over 35. He should look good. The guild spent enough money on sculpting him into what he is now. Funny that the two of you, buddies on the battlefield, were nowhere to be found when Recoil needed you. Redwire had a good reason for not helping. Killian had no such excuse. So, what happened to Recoil? Vermada hit squad, Fanaka said, with a tone that made Killian feel stupid for having asked such an obvious question. Sent by Thorn. I don't know how he found Recoil but he did. We were outgunned. Recoil died. If you'd answered the call, killer, she would still be alive. Killian closed his eyes. Had he failed his friend? Could he have made a difference? Nothing he had ever done had made a difference. It wouldn't have mattered if I was there. He hadn't been there for his wife, his family. Thorne had made those deaths happen, too. Yeah, 
It would have mattered, Fanaka said. I was in the firefight. I know what you can do. But our sad parade doesn't end with that tragedy. Now we're three, because Viden vanished last year. Rumor is our poor hurrah hacker lost her mind and killed herself. Went to the bottom, on Jupiter, supposedly. Bye-bye. Viden, a.k.a. Lulz, went to the bottom. That was how many hurrah committed suicide. They stopped flying, deflated their gas bladders, sank down until a gas giant's atmosphere crushed them. Killian gritted his teeth. He hadn't seen these sentients in decades, yet their loss still drove daggers into his heart. I'm sorry Lulz and Recoil are gone, but this is my life now, Killian said. I keep my head low. I stay off the radar of the Vermada, the Bats, the System Police, the Guild. I went away. I am away. I got my own tribe now. It's me and my crew. And when we're not running from Ponsky Sisters Raiders that like to blow up refueling stations, we've got a fairly not bad thing going. A good routine. Was he saying this to convince her or himself? Fairly not bad, Fanaka said. A good routine. Got it. Her eyes narrowed. What in the hell are you doing to yourself? Killian knew he had to stay hidden for the sake of his child, the only one that he knew was still alive. I just want quiet, Killian said. Just some peace and quiet until I die. Fanaka barked a laugh. And how long will that be? A hundred years? Two hundred? You've got plenty of miles left on the odometer, killer. More than any of us. And you know it. He didn't know that for sure. His modified body might turn on him at any moment. But he'd been waiting for that to happen for a long time. And as yet, it had not. Tell me why I'm here, he said. Get to the point, Fanaka. The real point, or I'm gone. She nodded, as if expecting the question. The data cube you brought contains coordinates for a prison. For the prison. For the borehole. Killian frowned. That place is real? It is, and it's where they're keeping Redwire. Redwire was the only sentient from their group that Killian had been able to keep tabs on over the years. Redwire had been arrested, that was common knowledge, but the bats had put him in the mythical prison? That was new information. The coordinates came at quite a cost, Fanaka said. I couldn't just go pick them up for the same reason I couldn't just go meet you. I was able to kill two birds with one stone by having you bring the cube to me. And now, you, me, and that ship of yours, the one that can smuggle anything, anywhere, are going to the borehole. We are getting red wire out. Oh, sure, just waltz into a secret imperial prison. Easy as pie. Where is it? Fanaka shrugged. Like I said, the coordinates are on that cube. I figure it has to be in Bat Country, right? Bat Country. Kretorakian territory. It's probably in the quiescence, Killian said. You think we can operate in that black zone ever again? Are you insane? We completed missions there, killer. 
don't pretend you've forgotten. That was three decades ago. If you haven't noticed, you and I aren't exactly the crack team we used to be. He thought of Redwire in a bat prison. The filthy, flapping animals, they would torture the hell out of him. Or have their League of Planets puppets do it for them. The Empire has no love for the Grisatu, Killian said. Redwire's probably already dead. If they know who he really is, which they don't. He's alive. Killian leaned back slightly, feeling the gears in his too old, too drugged brain clicking slowly but surely. They have Redwire but don't know who he is. You not only have the location, you know what they know about him. How? She smiled. I'm the bitch who knows everything. To anyone else, that smile would have shown swagger, arrogance, utter confidence. The kind of confidence one didn't challenge. But Killian knew this woman, knew her in ways that did not change with the passage of time. He saw something different, saw that she was trying to put up a front to get him to acquiesce to her knowledge. You have someone on the inside. The smile faltered only slightly, and only for an instant, but it was enough to tell him he was right. Leave the intel to me, Fanaka said. My job was always to get the info and put the chess pieces in place. Your job was always to stomp around the board and cut off the king's head. That is what you are going to do for me. Once upon a time, yes, that had been his job. When he'd been younger. When he'd been so sure of things. I assume the data cube I brought you has full schematics of the facility? And you have a plan on how to infiltrate? How to get out safely? That's not how this run works, Fanaka said. I have to get there. Then slip past Kretorakian patrols and the borehole scanners and defenses to do so. That's why I need your ship. Once there, we rendezvous with a contact who will give us the tactical. Going in without knowing the on-site layout or the tactical plan? Ludicrous. Killian started to object, but Fanaka held up a hand, sharply, cutting him off before he even started. This isn't a military base, she said. It's a prison, not a garrison. It's in the middle of nowhere. The bats use isolation to keep it hidden. I don't know everything about the borehole, granted, but I know it has almost no ship traffic, and that includes patrols and warships. The biggest hurdle is getting into bat country undetected, which you and I have done before, and I know you can do again. We get there, we get the plan, and we do what we've always done. We adjust as necessary. We improvise, we adapt, we overcome. A rah-rah speech? She was acting like no time had passed, like they were still a highly trained unit, like the Grisatu were still together, still a bunch of ass-kicking operatives. We are doing this, Fanaka said. You are doing this. Killing felt another golden oldie emotion flutter in his chest. Uncertainty. He didn't like that one bit. 
He'd spent decades tightening his grip on things. He craved predictability, calm waters, a paint-by-numbers kind of life. Even when things went sideways, and on jobs with his Olerin crew, they usually went sideways, he barely blinked because the life he'd chosen to live was hell and gone from the life he'd used to live. If the borehole is real, it is, and red wire is there. It's not because he got busted for mods. It's because he's still doing guild work, which is why I'm refusing your request. I will not help you with this. Yes, you will, Fanaka said. And we both know it. Tight grip. Control. Square edges. All of that was slipping away. Killian could sense it. This didn't feel like a mission. It felt like a reckoning. He closed his eyes. He saw himself in a tunnel on Shimanon, making the pact with the rest of the Stone Wolves. He thought of Recoil, a friend he could have saved if he hadn't been a coward, a friend dead at the hands of Ramada assassins. His thoughts raced to Lulz, who'd lost her mind and killed herself, who maybe would still be alive if she'd had her friends around her. His mind went to Redwire, the only Krizatu member Killian had seen in the last 37 years. And that meeting had only been so Killian could ask for a favor, a favor that Redwire granted instantly without a thought of his own self-preservation. A favor that Killian had assumed he could never repay. Until now. Killian wondered if Fanaka knew what Red had done for him. She claimed to know everything. But if she did know everything, had she known that Thorne would come after Killian's family? And if she had known, why hadn't she tried to help? Maybe she had tried. Maybe she'd failed. Either way, Killian didn't really want to know. He had abandoned the Stone Wolves, not the other way around. How could he have expected them to come to his rescue? He sighed. He looked into Fanaka's eyes. One silver, one blue, both hard and merciless. She hadn't changed. She was still a death-dealing warrior goddess, just as she had been when she was his and he was hers. Back when they had loved each other more than life itself. She'd known he would deliver the Big Death case successfully, because that was what he did. She'd known he would come to Wilson 4. And, of course, she'd known what to say to affect him, to motivate him, to goad him, because they were forever entwined. You owe us, killer. You owe the Stone Wolves. You owe me. Yeah. Yeah, he did. All right, he heard himself say. But there's four conditions. Four? When did you become such a prima donna? He ignored the jibe. First condition. My crew gets to vote on this mission. If you're pulling my ship into this, you are pulling them into this. We never take jobs because I want to take them. We take jobs when we want to take them. It's a democracy. We vote. If the yeas outnumber the nays, I'll take you there. Condition accepted, Fanaka said. The second? You pay us what you owe us. The case is delivered. 
pay us. Technically, the job isn't finished. When you took the gig, you knew there would be further instructions inside the case and that you needed to follow those to the finish. Killian was suddenly grateful for the Nasdor because it swallowed up the rage that blossomed within him. Breaking into an imperial prison is a damn sight more than further instructions. My crew almost died. Banaka spread her hands. I can't pay you what I don't have. Finish the job and you get your money. It wasn't the first time he'd been screwed out of payment, and he knew it wouldn't be the last. Getting shorted was part of the business. Beans and Zan knew that. If Aya did not, she would soon learn. If we get Redwire out, I promise you you'll have your money, Fanaka said. What is owed plus an extra 50%? Just another manipulative lie? If she was telling the truth, he could pay off the loan he'd taken for the impulse drive repairs a few months ago. He wouldn't be in the black, exactly, but he'd be closer to it than he'd been in years. The crew will have to decide, he said. Understood. Your third condition? You will tell me who your contact is. Fanaka sneered. That's not how it works, killer. I don't give up my sources. You don't have a choice, Killian said. I know I owe you. I owe Redwire. But I can't fly that ship and rescue him by myself. I need my crew. I need to know where your intel comes from, who it comes from. Non-negotiable, Fanaka. She stared at him, not unlike the way he'd seen her stare at traitors before she executed them. I will tell you, she said, but it stays between you and me. Your crew doesn't get to know. Too many singers spoil the song. Your crew's lives matter, but so does that of the sentient who is making this rescue possible in the first place. Fair? Kelly didn't want to agree to that. He wanted a name so Aya could use her darknet skills and find out all there was to know about that sentient. But just as he knew there was more to the story of Redwire than Fanaka had shared, he knew when she was digging in her heels. She was making this compromise and would compromise no further. Fair, he said. She raised an eyebrow. You will not mention the contact's name to your crew, ever? You have my word, Killian said. Fanaka stared for a moment longer, then nodded, accepting. The contact's name is Chalita Sakakorn. She is a physician at the prison. It seems hurrah doctors don't like to work long-term in places that don't have an atmosphere or a flight cylinder. Sakakorn thinks she's anonymous. She doesn't realize I know her name. I was able to put some pieces together to find out who she is. I'm not going to tell you how I know she's the real deal, but I do know. And it cost me a lot of money to find out. Is that good enough? A doctor? It made sense. There wasn't a prison in the galaxy that didn't have a black market, contraband going in and out. Even secret prisons, apparently. A doctor could easily deal drugs, for starters, 
tack on easy access to any prisoner, and information was as powerful a commodity as narcotics. The people locked up in the borehole weren't there for petty crimes. They were likely sentients of means, of influence. Even if the prisoners couldn't get out themselves, they still had to find a way to manage their organizations. Where there was a need and where there was money, there was always someone willing to be a go-between. That's good enough, he said. Wonderful. And the final item on your shopping list, your fourth requirement? If we do this, we do this my way. Fanaka laughed. You suddenly think you're better at planning and strategy than me? Just because you look like a younger man doesn't mean you get to be arrogant like one. No, not that, Killian said. What I mean is, we get in, we get out. No political statements. No chest-thumping for the Guild. And no killing. That sour expression crossed Fanaka's face again. Killian was certain she was doing some kind of emotional math, perhaps calculating how much he'd changed, or how cowardly he'd become, or how far he'd fallen from grace. It's like I told you, Hopscotch. I'm more human now than I was then. Fanaka smirked. Of course you are. I accept your condition. She offered her hand. He shook it. Her smirk became a reptilian smile. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.